Macworld Podcast number 340 for February 6th, 2013. Welcome to another Macworld Podcast. I'm Chris Breen. The recent Apple-centric event, Macworld iWorld, may be over, but the echoes remain. In this episode of the podcast, we'd like to present one of the more intriguing echoes from the show. Dan Moran's Apple in 2013 panel from the Macworld Live stage, featuring Lex Friedman, Serenity Caldwell, and John Moltz. Take it away, Dan. Afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to the Macworld Live stage. Uh, my name is Dan Moran. I'm a senior editor at Macworld. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit today about uh, Apple, the state of Apple and Apple in 2013, some of what we think Apple might do or might not do. I'm joined by an all-star panel. Uh, this is my colleague. Yeah, they're backstage. In the meantime, I've had their stand-ins come up. Um, I'm joined by Lex Friedman, who's also a senior writer at Macworld. Hi there. Serenity Caldwell, who is an associate editor at Macworld. Hello, folks. And a non-Macworld person who just somehow weaseled his way onto the panel, John Moltz, who you might know from Very Nice Website or from his previous ventures at Crazy Apple Rumors. Hello. Who has also written for Macworld on several occasions. So uh, I thought I'd kick this off a little bit. Uh, I wanted to talk about Apple in 2013 and where we think they're heading. And specifically, I was really interested to get your opinions on products that we've heard rumored that Apple might do. So let's start off talking about the one that I think has been mostly in the news over the last couple months, which is this whole idea of a low-cost iPhone, whether Apple will make something that's cheaper than the iPhone we have now, maybe sacrificing quality and components in order to get a better price. I know all you guys probably have some opinions on that. I'm looking at John because I know he has opinions. <laughs> I, I do have opinions. I have many opinions about many things. Um, I, my feeling about this is that Apple will do it as long as they can figure out a way to make money off of it. Apple is not, doesn't seem to be in the business of just trying to sell cheap things in order to get market share. Um, if they have gotten to the point where they know how to churn out these, these iPhones so much that they're able to leverage that knowledge that they've built up over the years in order to get cheap components and, and make something that's still a fairly decent product and it will be a reasonable price for emerging markets and places like that, then I think that they will, they will do it. But if they can't figure that out for whatever reason, they're not they're not going to be in the business of just chase, chasing market share. I think there's also a question of what, what is a cheap iPhone? What's cheap for an iPhone in terms of well, price? You can get an iPhone for free now, right? Right. But when you get the iPhone for free, that's requiring you to get a two-year contract. And we've grown accustomed to that indignity here in the United States, but in many other countries, the prepaid market thrives and the contracted one doesn't so much. Uh, unfortunately, for our friends in Canada, they, their default plan is a three-year contract, which is even worse than what we have. But what I'm wondering is, if Apple could make an iPhone that they could sell for $200 and get the right margin, that's not cheap in the sense that a free iPhone that you get with a two-year contract feels cheaper because it's free, but then you have that expensive required two-year contract. If they can get $200 and you don't have to have a contract, $200 for an out-of-contract phone, does that qualify as cheap? If the answer to that question is yes, then yes, I think Apple's going to release a cheaper iPhone. I'm a little skeptical in terms of, like, I can see the reasons why Apple might want to release a low-cost iPhone, but the idea of putting in the marketing and the resources to completely rebuild their iPhone for with cheaper parts, why not just sell an iPhone 3GS? Why not use something that they've already built and sell that at a reduced cost once it falls off of the, the platform and, you know... Make it if, it, if they're going to use a reduced processor, they might as well use a processor that they've already, you know, fine-tuned iOS 6.4 and they've 
they've already built the phone. Why waste the time focusing on low cost? I want to know how they're going to make it low cost. Are they going to build it out of like, like wood? <laughs> is it like paper? And then it like plastic catches is on the future, fire Dan. after a year and then you have to buy a new one? It's plastic. It's plastic. Plastic. Okay. Um, good, good plastic, though. Very nice plastic. The, the highest The best plastic. plastic the marble yes. of plastic. Only, Ives only the finest plastic. Mm. Finest plastics money can buy. Rich Corinthian plastic. <laughs> Well, uh, along those lines, we've also heard a lot of stuff about, uh, you know, the iPad as another major product that Apple needs to be revamping in some way. And we've seen two major iPad revisions in the last year. Uh, is there an iPad revision in the offing? Are we bound to see now that they've, you know, had the third edition, uh, third generation in March, and then almost six months later in October, we had the fourth generation. Do we have a fifth generation come in March, or are we waiting another year? I really hope not, <laughs> for, the, for the sake of everyone who has to write about these. <laughs> um, but seriously, I think that last year's six-month upgrade was a little bit of a, uh, an aberration in the general field. I think Apple's probably going to go back to a yearly release cycle. Now that they've moved up you know, most of their iOS accessories all to the fall, they have a nice sort of game going on where they can be like, all right, we have our fall event and our iPad event in October, and all of that leads so nicely up to the holiday season. So people don't have to worry about buying an outdated iPad because it came out in March, and oh no, well, I don't want to buy something for Christmas if they're just going to rev it again in the spring. Uh, I do think that they'll use the spring to release something. I don't think it's going to be an iPad. I, I, I would tend to agree. I think, first of all, I, I'm willing to stake my entire reputation that Apple will release an upgraded iPad with 128 gigabytes of storage <laughs> early next week. Uh, I'm still not sure they're going to make an iPad mini less. But, uh, yeah, now's not the time. But, I, uh, you know, my, my instinct is if Apple does try to keep up that aggressive a schedule, it's going to be that, you know, they, they release the iPad in the spring, let's say, and then you get, or you get the minor revision in the spring. So it's not a whole new device. It's not a whole new internals. It's maybe it gets a tiny bit faster or maybe, the, the, you know, a, a micro bump. Uh, I think the problem with doing a more, uh, a constant cavalcade of iOS device releases of any sort, you know, if they are constantly releasing new iPad models, you have a, a, an unceasing parade of buyer's remorse. Like, oh, I should have held out four more months to get new feature Q, and I don't think they can keep doing that. I think they'll keep releasing new iPads until the iPad is one pixel thick. <laughs> well, yeah, speaking of that, then, what, what does a new iPad look like? I mean, I felt like the third generation to the fourth generation, obviously, like Lex was talking about, was kind of a minor update. I mean, it was faster, and it's, it's very impressive if you've used it. It's really, really fast. But there's not a lot that's new there beyond the transition to the lightning connector. Is there stuff left for them to do with the iPad? Are there places that are left for them to go? Or is it dead, John? Dead. Yeah, I mean, again, thinner is always going to be better. And I think they'll, they'll just they'll keep making them smaller and, and thinner. And, and shinier. I'm going to and... I'm gonna have to risk getting like a paper cut every time I pick up my iPad. That's right. It's going to be a problem. They but... won't rest until it's as thin as a slice of paper. I mean, I think they did some nice things with the iPad mini there in terms of the build of the iPad mini. And I would love to see some of that move over into the larger iPad. Um, as for other upgrades, I assume that we're going to see an internal speed boost. We might see another you know, cool, nifty thing like the gyroscope, which was introduced um, for whatever the next revision of iOS is going to be. I'm, I am sure that somewhere engineers at Apple are like, ooh, maybe we could put this into the iPad. You know, 
I think it's gonna, the iPad hardware development is going to have to mirror the way Mac hardware development goes, where there are occasional visual changes, the aesthetic of the device changes a little bit, maybe the, the border of the laptop screen is black, and then sometimes it's not, and the keyboard, and sometimes, you know, but very minor things. I think that the, the exciting part of iPad development is not on the visual front of how the, the hardware is made. It's the, what it's capable of doing. It's mostly the software, but not just software like you know, an upgraded version of iOS. But when you think about the iPhone 4S's introduction of Siri or you know, the, the ability for the 5 and 4S to do the panorama photos... Uh, to me, the, it's the internal stuff that's, that's way more interesting. You know, they're going to keep trying to make the cameras be better inside the iPads. They're going to keep trying to make the iPads be faster, and then I think they're going to keep trying to add whatever's necessary to support the new magical features they can come up with on the software side. But it seems like as a slab, both the iPad and the iPhone have developed really to the point where they, they're pretty similar. You know, you, you look at one, even going back to the original iPhone and then moving up to the iPhone 5, they're, they're largely pretty much the same thing. They've got the same buttons, they've got you know, the same number of ports, if nothing else. Is there, is there innovation really focused on the software side rather than the hardware side? Because the hardware is, you know, obviously really good and really well built, but there's not a lot to add. Yes. Good. I'm glad we covered that. <laughs> Don't fix what isn't broken. Well, so then the, the question becomes, a lot of Apple's competitors have been making these things, these um, small laptops that are touchscreen. Um, and so then the question becomes, is Apple going to do something about that and have, a, and have an iPad, have, a, have, a, have an iPad, a MacBook Air hybrid? Um, I would be surprised, I would be extremely surprised if they do not somewhere down in Cupertino have a, a project where they're actually building one of those things right is it, now. Is it run by Whether they sell scientist? it or not, yeah, yes. <laughs> it's alive! Yeah. Steam, there's those, those, thi- those things with the electrodes going, yeah, electricity. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that sounds about right for one infinite right. loop. Um, you want no, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, uh, the, the nice thing is you always know that if an Apple CEO says, no, we're not interested in that product, that they're definitely <laughs> interested in that product. And you know, whether Tim Cook labels it a toaster fridge or some other half-monkey, half-pony hybrid... Breaking news, guys. Apple's making a toaster fridge. <laughs> I do think... I think you're right. I mean, I have used a Surface. I am not a big fan of the Surface. But I think that the only way to do a hybrid device of that sort is to, to let the screen do double duty as a standalone monitor or as a, a touchable interface but with full keyboard and trackpad, mouse, whatever, access as well. And at some point, I mean, I, I don't imagine Apple running a, a dual OS having device where it'll be mountain lion and then you press a button and it switches and it's the iOS instead. So it's going to look very different from what we think of as an Apple laptop, but I think you're right. that, that At some point, they're going to do something that's, that's much closer to the, the Tridge, now, the toaster fridge. I'm, I'm glad that you brought up the Surface, which is a you're sentence welcome. that has never been uttered before on this stage. Um, <laughs> Because I, I had the chance to use one recently as well, and there are a couple things that I think that it does have over what you can do with an iOS device. And the biggest thing for me is that uh, even though we've become very... If you say spreadsheets, I'm leaving. Kickstand? It's got a kickstand? Uh, I think. The, I may leave for that one. <laughs> That's pretty bad. The, I think what, what for me is that I use an iOS device, and the thing that stops me from using my iOS device for all of the work I do is simple things like I want to write an email while referring to another email. And now, my multitasking solution right now is, well, I open the email on my iPhone and look at it while typing on my iPad, (laughs) which I'm sure Apple is really happy about because it means they get to sell me two devices. But I don't think that's sustainable. Uh, Is there there a future for that kind of power feature, if you want to call it such a thing, in iOS? Or is that Apple's just sort of, we've got the Mac for that kind of thing? That's a really good question. I I hope you have a really good answer. I don't. But no, I'll say... 
I'm, I'm always happy to, when we make predictions because hopefully everyone, every prediction I make that tr- turns out to be stupid and wrong, you'll think John Moltz said instead. But I don't think Apple will ever support seeing two apps at once side by side on the iPad. I don't appreciate I, I wish they would reconsider that, but I, my take is that Apple thinks of the iPad as a one app at a time on screen. It's a one screen. The screen becomes whatever the app is. Apps would have to be, you know, gloriously redesigned to be able to handle side-by-side type stuff, and I don't think Apple's going to go to that approach. I think that's out of the question for them. That all said, I do think that multitasking needs a serious look, and I can't imagine that the folks in Cupertino are not sitting down, you know, at a, at a table somewhere being like, all right, how do we redesign this so that it makes more sense? Because the double-clicking to look at the shelf and, you know, click the thing, that, that works okay to a certain point, and it works great on the iPhone, but on the iPad, you really do need faster switching. Uh, the multitasking gestures help some, but I really do think that they're going to look at that very seriously, and they're also going to look at probably the file system, you know, trying to figure out how to reorganize apps, because again, what worked really well for the original iPhone with the folders is just not cutting it so far, you know, when people are really looking at the iPad as their chief computer or something that they only want to take on a trip. I mean, I assume some of you have either have or have used competitive devices, Android devices or Windows phones, whatever. And there's very little, there's not much to be jealous of, but I I think no honest Apple fan can look at an Android or Windows device and not lust in some ways after the better approaches they're using for home screens. So I I agree with you. My number one iOS wish list feature is for a, a new rethinking of how home screens work. John. Yeah, I did. well, I like, I mean, I, and I've written this before, but I mean, I do actually like the Metro interface, and we're just calling it Metro, even though Microsoft is not calling it Metro anymore. Um, they don't have a choice in this. Uh, because you get, you get a lot more feedback. I mean, there's, there's much more information that's provided on, on the Windows 8 home screen than you get on an iOS device. Um, but the thing, I, w- I really wanted to like the dual, the dual, two, having two apps on, a, on the surface, because I thought, I mean, as a writer who's someone who's like a, a constantly switching back and forth between a text editor and web page to, to do my work, um, it just didn't, it didn't work that well, as well as I wanted it to on the Surface device. Um, so I would love, but I would love to be able to do that on my iPad with a keyboard attached, be able, I mean, even just being able to alt-tab between two applications would be a godsend. We don't use alt here, John. Sorry. <laughs> Go back to your Surface. <laughs> I don't own a Surface, okay? Well, along those lines, I'm curious because we've talked about software being the big innovation point. So it seems likely we can expect an iOS 7 at some point this year. Are there things you're really expecting or hoping for? I know you talked about home screens a second ago, but are there other features that you feel like Apple really, you know, it's been a while since they've looked at this particular facet of iOS and it really needs a, a good revamp since it came out? The, the, after home screen overhaul, another thing that comes to mind is, uh, and I think Ren alluded to this before too, is, is figuring out, is, is taking iCloud from what, in a panel I had yesterday, Renee Ritchie called version negative one to at least version zero. Um, you know, imagine if, if you think about how Dropbox works on your Mac and how wonderful and perfect it is and how, you know, no brainer it is to use. And then you think about the iOS app, which probably fewer of you have than have Dropbox installed on your Mac. The iOS app works. It gives you full access to everything that's in your Dropbox folder. It's not perfect, though, because when you tap and open up something to, in, in one of your apps, it's not going to save automatically back into your Dropbox again. 
Um, Apple doesn't give you that two-way street. But it's still, given that limitation that Dropbox suffers on iOS, world's better than what you can do with iCloud on iOS. Since on iCloud, you can only open an iCloud document in the app that created it. And if you create it in a different app, you can't get to it. If you delete the app they used to create that document, you also deleted the document. Surprise. But I can imagine, at a bare minimum, Apple releasing an iCloud app in iOS 7 that gives you greater visibility into the documents you've saved on a per-app basis. And lets you, if you tap on it, you can say, I actually want to open this text document in a different text editor or in Pages. And I... I know it's it's not exactly how Apple and Apple I think hoped with iCloud that we were going to just forget about the file system and for, stop worrying about these things, not worry our pretty little head over those files. But given the the level of complaint and discontent that I think surrounds how iCloud document management works, I am very optimistic and hopeful that we'll see an iCloud app in iOS. App, a- Apple's approach so far has been kind of like that that guy who comes up to you on the street and is like, "Your files are in the cloud, man." <laughs> Yeah, well, for iOS 7, I really think that Apple's going to go for it and put on Flash. No. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You've got these poor people excited now. Yes, Flash. No, um, I think, as I said, alluded to before, I really want Apple to take a good hard look at multitasking because as it is now, um, it has some serious problems. It has some serious limitations. I think that's got to be coming soon, especially with you know the the way that you manage it and the confusion that people have about oh well I have all of these things in my multitasking bar and do I have to quit them because the genius said I had to quit them, but other people say I don't have to quit them. What's going like? Apple is all about making their iOS devices simple to use and transparent, and I really think that's an area that they could use to improve, to say the least. And there, there are other little tweaks. I think the system, uh, the, the settings app, is going to see an overhaul sometime soon because if anybody, I write Macworld's eBooks, so that means that there's an entire chapter where I go drill down, you know, setting, 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 setting. There are a lot of settings in the settings app. It gets a, it gets a little confusing. And when you're trying to find, you know, all right, where's guided access hiding? Where's accessibility under general, which is under this subcategory? I think they're probably going to take a look at how exactly they're organizing that. Um, but multitasking is my big, my big hope for iOS 7. Uh, get Siri out of beta. <laughs> um, is that, is that, are you protesting? Do you have a sign? <laughs> yeah, sure. Siri should, out of free beta. Siri. I'm actually thinking that might be a good idea. We may take that now because it's been so long that it's been in beta that it just doesn't make any sense anymore. But um, I'm actually a pretty big fan of Siri. I, I have a number of things that I, you know, sort of defined tasks that I use Siri for. And, you know, I've been able to figure out which things that she is capable of and which things that she's not capable of. And I really, I use it, I use it a lot for the things that I know that work really well, and so I really kind of like it. And I would just like to, I mean, I would like to see it, it uh, <laughs> made real and you know, become a real live boy. Um, <laughs> Siri, and, make me breakfast. Yeah, <laughs> and and, and uh, be nice to see it open up to, to third-party developers for uh, other applications. You know, one of the bigger frustrations I face with Siri, because I, too, love Siri. It's probably my closest friend at home this in New Jersey. This is awkward. This is starting to turn into Jerry Springer show up here. <laughs> but he loves Siri. I People love Siri. who love Siri. Let's bring out Siri, everybody. <laughs> well, what bothers me is when Siri understands exactly what you want and tells you, sorry, I'm not going to do that for you anyway, because that tells me that a developer understood what your intention is. And well, like, what no, are you asking so for, yeah, Lex? Did you, did, you, did you say please? <laughs> no, but, like... 
Apple, there's no easy way to get to, to, there's no super fast way to toggle certain settings. If I want to turn off Bluetooth or turn on Bluetooth, I can ask Siri to do it and just say, sorry, I can't turn on Bluetooth. But clearly it could. She just doesn't want to. Can't or won't. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't want to go into the settings app. She doesn't I told want you, to it's a mess in there. Right. But no. uh, let's, let's fill up those gaps is what yeah. I'm saying. No, there are, some, there are some things that Siri can sort of do now, like, for instance, buying movie tickets, where it's really nice, where there's an update now where if there's a compatible Fandango movie ticket theater, Siri will show you the showtimes, and you can tap on the showtimes to buy the tickets. But you can't actually buy it through your Apple ID. It just kicks you out to the Fandango app or the Fandango website, and then you have to manually enter in your credit card information. You know, there are a lot of little things like that, and especially in incorporation with Pat book, which has had a slow start, but I think is sort of ramping up there. Those two things combined, Siri and Passbook, I think have a giant possibility that Apple is really just on the outer edges of. So I'd love to see that kind of yeah, I'm glad in. you mentioned Passbook because I think that was something when it all came out in iOS 6, I remember we were writing about it and we're sitting there going, well, we've got this little screen that tells us we can get Passbook apps, but there aren't any Passbook apps. We've got to uh, write two pages about this for a book and we know nothing about it. Okay. And, and, and it's improved a lot. In fact, I, you know, I'm flying out here. I actually got my boarding pass on, on Passbook and used it and it was, it was great. I actually think like for the first time I was sitting there going, yeah, okay, I can see how this would really be an, an, an improvement. But it doesn't seem to me like Apple has put their customary amount of weight behind it. Like, I thought they would, they would sort of try to get partners on board much more visibly than they ended up doing. So, for, you know, for like two months, all I had in there was like a Starbucks card. It's like, great, because I don't go to Starbucks that I, much. I think 2014 will be the year of the passbook, so... This is going to be kind of a neutral year. We're not talking about 2014 right. today. We're talking it's about 2013. 2013. Don't get ahead of yourself. Then, no, I think Passbook is doomed to stay kind of <laughs> mediocre for this year. I don't know. I think a lot of the movement that Apple's making with, uh, with its partners is actually under the surface and not very public, where I think it's like the early years of iTunes, where there's going to be a lot of lobbying by Apple to say, all right, I know you really want to use this old, outdated credit card form for everything, but, you know, you can give us 30% and we'll take care of all of your fees for you and we'll make it really nice and we'll make you lots of money and you definitely want to come with us. You know, but they have to, they have to work that out. They have to uh, put on the charm and slowly court these companies, and that's not something I think they're going to do publicly. Apple's not really brashly like, hey, we've got all these companies on board even though the deals are not finalized yet. Uh, I think they're working on it, but... I, it might take till 2014 to actually see some movement on that. I think that was one of the more unexpected features of iOS 6, though. Like, I think a lot of us looked into stuff, you know, there were predictable things that were coming, and then that was sort of out of left field. Are there, are there anything that you sort of have a left field prediction for what might show up in iOS 7? Not to put us on the spot or anything. <laughs> Well, I know, for example, Lex, you've, you've talked about your love of fitness devices. I see you're wearing on your wrist right there. Right. Well, I do have, that, that is my, as you know, <laughs> that is my sort of my wild prediction for iOS 7. I've got the jawbone up here on my wrist, and I've got a Fitbit in my pocket. And these are devices that uh, I'm, I need to track my steps in two ways at all times. I need a backup. You've got to have backups. But, uh, you know, these are devices that track the footsteps you take the miles you're trekking each day, and this one can also track my sleep and whatever else nonsense. But it's useful information for me to have. Um, there's no reason that Apple needs to continue to allow this very burgeoning third-party market to grow. Um, uh, so it would not surprise me at all. I believe that there's an iPod. Is it the iPod Nano? Yeah, the iPod Nano already has a pedometer, a pedometer built into it that I think is mostly unimpressive. But the technology is very tiny. It fits into very tiny devices. So Apple could, I think, very easily pack that hardware into an iPhone so that the phone in your pocket could keep track of the miles you're walking each day. 
It's going to happen. I don't want that. It'll be. I want, turn it I want things that will allow me to sit on the couch and do absolutely nothing. I'd also like to know how many hours I've spent watching Netflix. That would be good. Never need to know that. Any other crazy predictions for iOS 7? I don't know about iOS. Um, no, we're good. We're done. It's pretty much yeah. finished. Oh, yeah. yeah it's, 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 it's done. It's oven. fully it's baked. <laughs> well, let, let's switch gears slightly and then talk about the Mac, which I think is in an interesting position right now. We're coming up on th- almost 30 years of, of the Mac as a as a product line. Um, and it seems like, especially in the most recent quarter when they reported their financial results, that certainly the Mac is now occupies a smaller wedge of their overall pie than it used to in the, pack, in the past. Is, that, is it kind of dwindling? Is the, is the age of the Mac coming to, a, to an end? Or at least is it repositioning into sort of a smaller niche? It's, it's not going away. But yes, it'll continue to be a truck. <laughs> Isn't it, Are you okay? Did you have a stroke? That's what, my MacBook Air. That's what Steve Jobs yes. called it, right? He called it he's cars and trucks, right? But no, I'm, I, yeah, I think it's going to continue to be a niche, but a profitable and successful one for the company. It'll be increasingly niche, I guess, because people really love their iOS devices. Did you say increasingly niche? I yeah. did. Like, <laughs> yes. It's a philosophical thing. It's existential. existential. <laughs> but, you know, I... I mean, certainly I think this is going to be the year we're finally going to see an actually successfully updated Mac Pro, and I predict that it will not look like any Mac Pro to date because that look is old in the tooth. Um, we've, we just got new iMacs, and I think we're going to see Retina displays move to more Macs. I think that, yes, the MacBook Air will get a Retina display either this year or next year. And, uh, but, yeah, I mean, I don't think the Mac's going away. I think it's just going to continue to, to plod along at the pace it's been. Yeah, I still think this quarter could be a pretty decent quarter once they start getting uh, caught up with shipments for the new for the new iMac. That they might actually have a good quarter with Macs and and increase and have it increase over over prior quarter. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you've seen those charts. I mean, Dan Frommer had a had a chart up on his website uh, the other day, and you know you can just you can see the trend. I mean, if you look at just Macs, it just it just goes up and then it just kind of it's leveling it's leveling out. And then when you add iPads, it's just going like this. So. That's really where the new. That's where the game is right now. I do really hope, though, that when the new Mac Pro comes out, that Apple does not uh, obsess over thinness the way it normally does. I don't know. I don't understand. It's the, the thinnest Mac Pro yet, yeah. which wouldn't take much. I don't understand the appeal of the new. I mean, I, I like the new iMac under the hood stuff, but the fact that it's thinner in some places on the screen does not appeal to me, and I. I I, I still cling to my optical drive, and I'm sad that the new iMac doesn't have one. So I'm hoping that the, the, MacBook, the Mac Pro that will come out this year will be big and fat and heavy. You never watch movies. What do you use an optical drive for? Uh, installing parallels. <laughs> <laughs> you know you, you can it download it. Do, do you also have a stack of 3.5-inch floppies somewhere that you're really bummed about? Zip drives. No, I use my optical drive to, to, for ripping DVDs for the kids. They watch movies. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So it skips a generation. Right. <laughs> no, I do think the, uh, the Mac Pro will continue to focus on Apple's Pro market and thus may have things that we may see disappear in some of the consumer markets. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't think that a Mac Pro is going to ship with an optical drive, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's a bay for an optical drive, especially when you consider that the kind of people who want to buy a Mac Pro, you're, you're talking about graphics professionals, you're also talking about video professionals. And while some of the video professionals are a little mad at Apple because of Final Cut Pro, they still really, I mean, Apple hardware is still a really great thing. I mean, Mac versions of a lot of the video programs are still a lot better than their Windows counterparts. So Apple really, you know, there, there is a small but vibrant and willing to spend lots of money 
target group that I think Apple wants to reach out to with the new Mac, Mac Pro. So I don't think it will, you know, I don't think it will look quite as consumer pretty as, say, the iMac. The Mac Pro is not designed to be put on a desk. It's designed to go under the desk and power the beautiful, maybe 30-inch retina cinema display. But will it come in colors? That is a good question. I want a bubblegum Mac Pro. It's pink. No blue Dalmatian? Uh, I was, but I feel like we've kind of seen the Mac lineup itself has kind of become codified over the years. I mean, between the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro, which I think is destined to sort of merge a bit, and then we have the Mac Pro, the Mac Mini, and the iMac. I mean, I, I don't know that I expect a new model of Mac from what we've seen before, right? I mean, it's mainly just, it seems like it's mainly just the future's revisions and, and continual enhancements to the Macs we've already seen. Does it seem like there's any room for an entirely new device in there, or have we reached sort of the end of what is brand new in that realm? The only thing I could really see is some sort of device that's posited in between the, I, like the iPad and the MacBook Air, whether that's some kind of tablet OS X computer that isn't quite iOS and isn't... Like, obviously, OS X is leaning more towards iOS ish looking um, but I don't think that you know it's not going to it's not going to turn into iOS iOS is not going to turn into uh, OS 10 but I do think there we may see a touchscreen desktop of some kind that may not be the Mac the iMac where you're reaching out and you get your hand tired after 10 minutes I mean I there is the possibility for that I don't know what it looks like. I can't even, you know, comprehend it in my head enough to give a concrete idea of what it could look like, but I am sure that Apple's investigating it. Lex likes a full-body workout when he uses his computer, so I think he might actually like one of those. <laughs> That's true. true. The treadmill Mac. Yeah, I, I do think Apple will come out with a treadmill-powered Mac, yes. And I will be the one person to buy it. <laughs> You're going to keep them in business, though. Yes. Uh, maybe they should come up with something that's in between the iPad and the, the MacBook that's kind of like a like a book you would use for getting on the net or something like that. Like a net book. That's crazy talk. I, I think that's... Go to your room. <laughs> You're not my father. Uh, so we've talked a little bit about the Mac and about iOS, which are obviously the sort of the two major product lines that are in there. Although we haven't yet talked about what the future holds for OS X. What does the future hold for OS X? I'm glad you asked, because I wanted to ask John Moltz that same question. <laughs> what? You want to know what cat it is? That's what I want to know. I, I, yeah, I, no, I'm all out of cats. I don't, I don't, uh, Ocelot, is that, what, is that what we're left with? That's pretty much it, isn't they it? Never, you know what I found the, when we looked at this the other day for a session we ran? They never used cougar. They used puma, which is sometimes used interchangeably with cougar, but they never used cougar as one. Maybe I, they don't want the, the Is that right? Didn't the they, they didn't use cougar? No, oh. apparently. I Sabretooth would be a good one, though. Sabretooth would also be a good one. I am confident. The X-Men character, I assume you mean. <laughs> I don't I'm like that guy. I'm confident that the, the next iteration of OS X will, for the first time, incorporate Siri on the Mac. We already got dictation on the Mac, and I think that Siri's time is, is coming on the Mac. Too. That worries me, because I feel like then you'll have Siri on your iPhone and Siri on your Mac, and you start them talking, and it'll turn into the singularity or something. Yes. We don't need to do any I think that's a fair concern. But I mean, I, well, I'm si- I, well, I don't sit at my Mac, I stay in that, but I'm at my computer, and when I want to schedule a reminder or set an appointment, I tend to turn to my iPhone because I can tell Siri to do it, and it's like, it really is in, in those contexts, like having a personal assistant who's around to help. And it's faster to say, remind me to you know, write this story at 4 p.m. than it is to type it into reminders. Or to actually remember to write that right, story at 4 There's PM. no chance that that's going to happen. But, uh, so I'm, I'm desperate for Siri to show up on the Mac, and I, this is its time. This year will be the year. 
Are there other iOS things that you guys want to see on the Mac that you feel like it would make a good fit there? Passbook. <laughs> <laughs> I do like to carry my iMac down to the uh, jetway with me. Can you scan this? It's really thin. <laughs> I forgot what I was going to say. After that. <laughs> the image is just so horrible. <laughs> Well, I guess so. We were talking about home screens. We were talking about home screens for iOS. I mean, I think you could see something similar like that, um, where you have a home screen that provides you more information than um, you, what you than just than just icons. Well, Launchpad with with more feedback. We've got Launchpad, and then we've still Dashboard still exists on OS ten. It's kind of it? limping along. Does it? it even got an update with Mountain Lion? They've they have made it so that there are actual iOS like icons that you can organize in your dashboard. And that I must have, have taken to, them upwards of oh, two I days know. to do. So long. But my point is that they haven't gotten rid of it. You know, Apple is ruthless about cutting out things that they're like, nope, this doesn't work with our system, this doesn't work with our focus. So I'm really curious about why Dashboard is hanging around. And I can't... I'm, I'm actually a Dashboard fan, I gotta yeah. say. I really like Dashboard. And it, it, I don't... I think it kind of got short shrift. But it, it seemed to me in some ways like a good example of what an iOS home screen could look like. I mean, I think they would be more regimented to that because Android has something that's very similar where you can have widgets and icons and it's all sort of willy-nilly. I think they would like to have a little more control over it. But I like the idea of having something like, oh, you know, I want to see a, a weather forecast here and a, maybe just a radar view and maybe a, my reminders over here. And it seems like that's a good way to build off. I would also add, though, that the, the iCloud app I am envisioning and wishing for in iOS 7, I think that'll have to, in some form, come to the Mac as well. Otherwise, it's stupid. Yeah, well, I mean, we've seen, especially with Mountain Lion and iOS 6, that Apple is increasingly focused on merging the two so that if you're changing data on your Mac, it's almost going to instantly change over on your iOS device. We're seeing more third-party apps that are in the App Store on iOS and also on the Mac App Store so that they can share iCloud data from one to the other. I would not be surprised if that's what Apple chooses to focus on, especially when, if they're trying to work on improving iCloud. It would be interesting to see if Apple takes, all right, you know, we do some things with the Finder well, but we want to get people sort of moving away from organizing all of their files individually. Maybe we might even see an open, you know, when you launch the computer, it maybe opens to an iCloud interface. You know, you don't, maybe, maybe the desktop, we don't see so many files. Dan, I have to ask you a question. Do, do you have to? <laughs> do you think that Apple's ever going to ship a laptop with a built-in LTE chip? No. Okay. Um, no, I, I don't... I think it's a possibility, but I think it's unlikely based on the kind of things I've seen. I mean, the, the MacBooks obviously is very portable, and that seems like a, a very easy way to get online no matter where you are. Uh, but at the same time, I feel like their argument's going to be, well, you have you know, an iPhone. You can just tether it to the iPhone. And since you can do that over Bluetooth or Wi-Fi or even over a USB cable, uh, it seems like that's a pretty good solution for that in most parts. I, I don't think they feel the need to put in that extra material and cost because it would make it heavier. It would potentially make it more expensive. And though they could get maybe a deal like they have on the iPad where you could pay at a monthly fee and have the ability to sort of con you know, cancel whenever you want, I think that they really, I think they really don't like working with the carriers. It's just that they have to. Uh, there's not really a lot of option there. So you've seen they have no particular loyalty after that, you know, after their exclusivity expired with AT&T. You can buy an iPhone, you know, at Walmart, you can buy an iPhone from pretty much any carrier in the entire country, and they've just added more and more and more. I, I don't think they have any sort of loyalty or feel that one horse is better than the other. They just want to, they want you to buy an iPhone no matter what carrier you're going to use. So I think trying to deal with that and tying down, oh, I bought this MacBook, and it's on Verizon, 
but now Verizon's changed their network and it doesn't work, or now I want to switch to AT&T, but I can't because it's not going to work with my Verizon MacBook. I don't think they want to go down that road. For a global company, you should look at how many different versions of iPhone that they have to sell across the world to cover, oh, well, this iPhone only works with these four LTE bands, and this iPhone works with these two LTE bands. I mean, you basically would say to Apple, if you're going to put an LTE chip in your MacBook, that means for every single line of laptop and every single size of laptop, you're going to have five different kinds of laptops. Because, I mean, in theory, you could probably fit multiple LTE antennas in there, but it would take up a lot of useful space. So it's... I want a laptop that's entirely antenna. <laughs> Just, it's all antennas. All the way down. the iBook. And then you'd be holding it wrong. Of course. <laughs> yeah, it would always be signal some way or the other. Yeah, um, maybe someday. So... I want to touch upon the sort of new areas that Apple might move into because I think that's, there's a lot of people waiting out there expecting Apple to come out with the next great huge thing that it's going to do. We've seen the iPod and the iPhone and the iPad and people want to know what's next and it, it seems in some ways like there's no clear answer to that although the big one obviously is people rumoring Apple making a television. Do, do you think that the idea of an Apple television is, is actually something they're going to do, or do you think this is all just smoke and mirrors at this point? I don't think Apple's going to release a television. I think people who think Apple is going to release a television are wrong, <laughs> or Gene Munster, wow. or both. And the set-top box that they have right now is good and getting better. And I think that's where the innovation is going to go. There's nothing that they can do with a television that they can't do merely through the set-top box. And I think that television would end up being a world of hurt. You have to make a lot of different... People are willing to pay more for a television. I'm sorry, let me try that again. People are willing to pay more up front for a computer um, that has Apple's technologies in it and Apple's focus on detail and ease of use. But I don't see anything that Apple could do with an Apple-branded television that it couldn't also do with any other television with an Apple TV set-top box connected to it. And given that you'll be able to, be able to, I would imagine, accomplish whatever you can accomplish with the television using the Apple TV set-top box instead, uh, I don't see how anybody's going to pay the extra margins that Apple requires for it to do business for an Apple-branded television itself. You're also talking about Apple getting into a whole mess of component costs. Because if you're talking about Apple making actual television screens, then you're talking about at least three different monitor sizes, maybe four, depending on how they want to market it. Um, and you're talking about much bigger LCD screens than you might see. And also with the focus in LED and LCD televisions at CES on you know the 4K and the retina level display, uh, that's... That's a lot of work for Apple. I really, I really think that uh, they're like, we don't And they're so lazy. I know. <laughs> we already have so many products. Guys. I, we'll do yeah. it this afternoon. But in, in all seriousness, I agree with Lex, and I think the, the set-top box is great. Apple software is great. That is the thing that Apple does the best. And as long as they can control the hardware on which their software runs, they don't necessarily need to throw in the screen. And I would actually agree with both of them as well. Although, although I would say that every time somebody says uh, there's there's no place for Apple to make an improvement, it just makes me cringe because I always think about the iPhone because everybody said before the iPhone came out, there's why would Apple make a phone? There's no there's no phones are already perfect. Yeah. Why would anybody make a make a yeah, phone? Look, I mean, that, look at this thing. Look yeah. at all these buttons. I mean, have you used a like, television in yeah. the last ten years? <laughs> yeah, yeah have you? Yeah, they're terrible. So I, I would be su very surprised if they got into the screen business. Um, the the thing that 
that makes the whole thing hard, of course, is the studios, because really that's where most of the room for improvement lies in the television experience is, is in, in getting your content and having it instantly available to you everywhere you are. And the studios just generally aren't interested in that because they want you to pay for you know, every single viewing that, that you do. I can also imagine an Apple television not having any extra HDMI boards. You will watch only what the Apple television will have on it. I, I like the idea that Tim Cook's got it in the basement somewhere in one infinite loop. Like, they've already built it. He's not releasing it. And then one morning, he's going he's gonna to wake up, and somebody's just really teed him off. And he's just like, you know what? Release it. <laughs> Release the crap. Drop it. I, and, you know, one thing that, I mean, obviously Apple can always do things that it does not so well better. And frequently does make improvements to how it does things. But... I get, I'd be scared if Apple did release a television because I've seen how Apple looks at TV today and the Apple TV remote is garbage and the Apple remote app is considerably more powerful but I don't want a touchscreen remote and I'm worried that Apple's love of touchscreens would make so it... you want a remote that, with a keyboard is what you're saying. I want a remote with 87 <laughs> buttons minimum. <laughs> I have one. And it needs to have a full keyboard size keyboard. No, I want a remote that... that I want a remote that it, I can use without looking down at it that can handle the functions I need to function. What you need, actually, I think what you need... <laughs> You're going to be very disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I like the rumors of using Siri because I've actually used uh, uh, an Xbox which does the, with the Kinect has voice recognition. And it's kind of cool when it, when it works. It's limited in what it does. But I think something like Siri where it's, you know, let's abstract the idea of controlling something. It doesn't work in every use case. You don't want to be talking to Siri well. Pause. No, pause. But I, I think that there are places where in terms of like looking for content and finding content, that an intelligent agent does a much better job than like, okay, I'm going to type in the name of this movie that's extremely long. You know, it could be pretty magical, even with the Apple TV set-top box today, if the phone had, if the Apple TV noticed that there was a, an iPhone in the area and that phone got a call that it paused the content automatically. I just blew your mind, John. <laughs> you know, I think you did the opposite. <laughs> you, you, you sucked my mind. Is what you're <laughs> okay. <laughs> So is there anything else left in terms of, uh, you know, if they're not going to make a TV, is there, is there anything that you sort of think that Apple might be looking at when it comes to this is an industry that we need to approach in your long personal conversations with everybody in Apple? I definitely don't think that Apple will make a landline iPhone. <laughs> Sorry, Kirk. I think it's good that we just get that out of the way there. Yeah. Dishwasher? No. Toaster fridge? I... I feel hesitant saying this um, because it's You're probably like, not. This is a safe place. Yeah. You're among friends. <laughs> Nobody's listening. It's okay. Okay, internet. Um, forgive me. So I do think that there might be room for precious sensitivity and the possibility of a stylus. Not for navigation, but for creative purposes. I went off the stage. Because, yeah. Well, see, that's, that's the problem is that... On, on the root form, I mean, we've heard Steve Jobs' quote on styluses. And using the stylus as a navigation device is awful. You do not, like, poking, and unless you're wearing cold winter gloves, and even then you have the touchscreen sensitive gloves, and those are great. However, you know, there is a place for professional artists and video, you know, people who are in the video industry, the composite industry. Working with a touchscreen is great. And that place is the Newton. <laughs> L egg freckle you. You know, I do. I do think that uh, on the tactile side, that there's something. There's more. That's to me the next cool hardware revision that Apple can do on the iPad, where there there are companies that are doing work with 
I mean, I don't understand how the insides of it work. You know, that, that are working with electronic fields so that you can feel different textures as you touch the, the touch screen on your iPad. And, uh, you know, to, to be able to have a game where when you're swiping through the water, you feel the sort of water moving underneath your finger, or if you're, if you're tapping on the keys to actually feel a little bit of, of hammer action on the keyboard in a way that's not awful like the BlackBerry Touch was, um, you know, if, if there's a way to get that stuff to work that, that's not terrible <laughs> and that is, in fact, good... I, I don't see why Apple wouldn't do it. I really want an iPhone that just shocks me every once in a while. It just <laughs> keeps me awake. Wouldn't that be great user security, though? Oh, you've entered the wrong password ten times. Be good. This would be a great place for a Dune reference, but I'm not going to make it. It's because you have class, John. <laughs> uh, I'd also like to thank my panelists here, Lex Friedman, Serenity Caldwell, and John Moltz. I'd like to thank all of you for stopping by and watching our panel, and I hope you have a good rest of the show. Thanks. Thanks so much, guys. And that wraps up this edition of the Mackerel Podcast. I'd like to thank Dan Morin, Lex Friedman, Serenity Caldwell, John Moltz, and of course, you for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to drop us a line at podcast at mackerel.com, or you can leave us a voicemail at 415-967-3622. This is Chris Breen reminding you that you can find more Apple, macOS, iOS, and technology news, views, and information at mackerel.com. See you around.